Uh, as we get started today, I want to begin with a story, and it is a true story. Uh, it's a story that starts back in 1998. So for everybody under the age of 25, just assume I began this story a long, long time ago. I know it's all the same to you. But back in 1998, at the United States Naval Academy Preparatory School, there was a young cadet named Jay Rodriguez. And Jay was given a job to do. Jay was asked to come up with a cheer that his platoon could use in their competitions against the other platoons during that year uh, at the academy. Jay spent some time thinking about it. Jay had never been a cheerleader before, but he thought, well, I can, guess I can do this. And this is the cheer that Jay came up with. I believe that we will win. That's it. That's the full extent of Jay's cheer. I believe that we will win. You're like, is that a question or a cheer? Um, and you have to imagine that at first Jay's platoon was probably a little bit like, come on, dude, this is all you got? Like, really? But Jay was like, no, 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 listen, guys, this is going to be good, because here's what we're going to do. We're going to do this as a call and response, and then at the end, there's going to be so much energy as we just chant, I believe that we will win. And so he said, just picture it. He's like, I'm going to say I, and then you'll say I, and then I'll say I believe, and you'll say I believe, I believe that we, I believe that we, I believe that we will win. 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 I believe that we... I thought at some point you all might join in with me... But I see how it is. Happy Easter to you, too. Well, Jay's platoon loved this chant. They loved this cheer. It grew on them, and they got pretty fired up about it. Pretty soon, it took over the Naval Academy, and the Naval Academy took it with them to the next year's annual Army-Navy football game. Army had Navy's number. They had won six of the last seven times that the Army-Navy teams played each other in football. But this year, the Navy came back as an underdog and won the game 19 to 9 while tens of thousands of, of Navy fans around the stadium chanted, I believe that we will win. I believe that we will win. It was like this incredible thing. From there, the national media got a hold of it and it took off. Other colleges and universities started to use the cheer, I believe that we will win. From there, it went beyond universities, and the United States men's and women's national soccer teams took this cheer with them to the World Cup, where the women famously brought home victory in 2015. In 2016, at the Ryder Cup at Hazeltine, the American fans cheered their, their team on to victory over the European golf team for the, first, or for the second time in two decades while cheering, I believe that we will win. Since then, it's been featured on talk shows, in commercials, in just about every single high school around the country. And personally, I love it. Every, sing, every single time I think of a stadium filled with like 100,000 people all cheering together, I believe that we will win. I feel so fired up. I want to like run up and down 100 flights of stairs. And then I remember that I'm 40, and I think, well, I'll just take the elevator. But that's okay. The reason that I think this cheer is so great, that people love it so much, is because at its core it reflects the reality that belief is powerful. Belief, believing in something, is powerful. And if you think about belief for a second, you recognize that without belief, it's almost impossible to do anything of significance. Because if you don't believe it's even possible, you're never going to put in the effort that it'll take to overcome the obstacles and to achieve it. But with belief, with belief, there's almost no limit to what we can achieve. And we see this on display in the articles that you've probably read, like I've read. 
about companies that give new employees what they call a, a, an impossible project, right? This is, it seems like something that tech companies do a lot of times, or engineering or computer programming companies do, where they'll assign to their new employees a project to work on that they know actually can't be done. There's no answer to this problem. There's no way to solve this challenge, but they give it to their new employees because they want to build a corporate culture where employees aren't afraid to tackle huge challenges. But what happens every once in a while? An employee comes back and says, here you go, I solved it. And everybody kind of scratches their head and they think, well, what do you mean you solved it? It's impossible. And the employee's like, well, you forgot to tell me it was impossible, and since I'm a new employee, I wanted to work really hard, and I thought you wouldn't have assigned it to me if it was not possible, and so I just got it done. And what we find is that their belief that it was possible allowed them to push past the obstacles that had stopped the people before them who thought that it was impossible. And this is, is a reflection of the reason why belief is so, po- so, so powerful. Belief is so powerful because it gives us confidence to move forward in the face of uncertainty. That's why belief is so powerful. Belief is that thing that fuels us. It's that thing that sustains us. It's that thing that that motivates us to continue putting one foot in front of the other no matter what the challenges are, despite the uncertainty. And there will always be uncertainty. It doesn't matter how much you say, I believe that we will win, your team still might lose the game. That's why they play the game. That's why they don't just hand out trophies ahead of time to the favorite, right? And the reality is, anytime we talk about believing anything, there is always a little bit of doubt. There is always a little bit of uncertainty whenever we talk about believing anything. Today, of course, is Easter Sunday, and today is a celebration. But it's not a celebration of the Christian faith. Today's not a celebration of the Bible, as great as it is. It's not a celebration of the church, as great as it is. Today is the celebration of a historical event, and that historical event is the resurrection of Jesus from the dead back to life, literally. But even as I say that, I recognize that for all of us, there's some degree of uncertainty. There's some degree of doubt. For many of you, you, this is not a normal part of your weekend routine. It's not a big part of your life, the whole Jesus thing, the whole church thing, the whole God thing. And it's possible that part of the reason why is because you have difficulty believing that Jesus literally rose from the dead back to life. But even for those of you like me who have built your life on the belief that Jesus literally rose from the dead back to life, you and I have to be willing to admit that we weren't there, that we didn't get to see with our own two eyes. And so even for us, as confident as we feel like we are, there's at least a little bit of uncertainty. And what I hope to show you this morning is that no matter how much uncertainty there is in your mind, You're in good company. You're in good company not only with everybody seated around the room this morning, you're in good company with Jesus' first century followers, the people who were there that day, at least until they saw for themselves. And what I hope you'll leave with is the understanding that belief always leaves room for a little bit of doubt. And that's okay. It's actually a good thing, as you're going to see, 
Because belief in the face of a little bit of uncertainty is powerful enough that it can change your life. I want us to see this in John's Gospel. There are four, four individuals who uh, recorded the life and ministry of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Today we're going to read the resurrection account from John's Gospel. And so we're going to dive into John chapter 20. We're going to read pretty much the whole chapter together this morning. But we're going to jump right into John chapter 20, verse 1, where we read this. Early on Sunday morning, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and found the stone had been rolled away from the entrance. She ran and found Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved. She said to them, they have taken the Lord's body out of the tomb and we don't know where they have put him. We know that Mary had gone to the tomb early on Sunday morning. We know that Jesus was crucified on Friday afternoon. Friday evening at sundown begins the, the uh, Jewish Sabbath. And on the Sabbath, Jews don't do anything. They can't do any work, and they certainly can't bury a body. And so Jesus was taken down off the cross. He was confirmed dead, and he was very quickly wrapped in a linen cloth and laid to rest before the sun set on Friday because the Sabbath would begin at sundown, and it would last until the sun sets on Saturday. Well, at sundown on Saturday, the... Sabbath was over, so they'd be able to do some work, but now it's dark. And so Mary and the other women have to wait until Sunday morning when they gather up all of the embalming spices and they head to the tomb to do what women have been doing since the dawn of time, which is coming behind men and finishing the project they started and only got done halfway. <laughs> but when she gets there, she sees that the tomb is open and empty. But naturally, she does not expect a resurrection. She thinks that somebody has moved the body. And so she hurries back and she finds two of the disciples, Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved. And she tells them they've moved his body. Verse 3, we read, Peter and the other disciple started out for the tomb. They were both running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He stooped and looked in and saw the linen wrappings lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter arrived and went inside. He also noticed the linen wrappings lying there while the cloth that had covered Jesus' head was folded up and lying apart from the other wrappings. Then the disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in and he saw and he believed. Everybody say believed. believed. For until then they still hadn't understood the scriptures that said Jesus must rise from the dead. Then they went home. We've got two disciples here, Peter and the disciple that Jesus loved. For those of you who have been attending Heartland over the last month, we've been studying the book of John. Who was the other disciple, the disciple whom Jesus loved? John, yeah. And whose gospel are we reading? John's. So John's talking about himself in the third person here. I just have to point out for a second, I think it's so funny that John, in this passage, twice pointed out that he was faster than Peter. Right? <laughs> You can just picture these two young men were competitive with each other when it came to athletics. And so John sits down and he writes this, and twice he points out, I got to the tomb faster than, than Peter did. Like, he got there after me, right? 
I think it's funny, but the only thing that I'll say is a little bit foul ball about this is that we know John wrote his gospel after Peter had already been martyred because of his belief in Jesus. And so Peter didn't get a chance to, like, rebuttal, right? He didn't, if he had read John's gospel, you could just imagine you'd be reading, like, 1 Peter or 2 Peter, and Peter would have probably slipped in there somehow like John just did. He'd be like, yeah, this one time I was in a conversation with John while we were arm wrestling, and I won like I always do. And John said this really great thing, right? Can't you see that? Well, so they get there, and they see the, the, the body wrappings lying there neatly folded. And this is a key thing, because when John sees this, John knows nobody has moved the body, Mary. Like, grave robbers would not have taken the time to unwrap Jesus' body. They would have grabbed the body and gotten out of there as quickly as they could. And so when John sees this very unusual sight with the missing body and the, the, the burial wrappings lying there neatly folded, it's like a light bulb goes off in John's mind. And suddenly all of the scriptures that prophesy that the Messiah would come and lay down his life only to be raised back to life again suddenly make so much sense. And John tells us, that's the moment I believe. That's when I believe. But notice that John hadn't seen for himself yet. That John believed even though there was a little bit of uncertainty in his mind. John did what you and I are invited to do today. Then they went home. We read down in verse 19 that that, that evening, Sunday evening, the disciples were meeting together behind locked doors because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders. Suddenly, Jesus was standing there among them. Peace be with you, he said. As he spoke, he showed them the wounds in his hands and his side. They were filled with joy when they saw the Lord. I have to imagine that's like such an understatement, that they were filled with joy when they saw the Lord. They literally got to see their Savior resurrected from the dead, now standing in their midst, talking to them, showing them the scars in his hand and in his side. He was like, look, guys, it's me. I'm alive. We know from one of the other Gospels that Jesus goes, do you have any food? I'm really hungry. I haven't eaten in like a few days. And so they, they were overjoyed. All of them believed now because they had all gotten to see. But we know not all of the disciples were there when Jesus came that first time. Verse 24 says, One of the twelve disciples, Thomas, was not with the others when Jesus came. So they told him, We have seen the Lord. But he replied, I won't believe it unless I see the nail wounds in his hand, put my fingers into them, and placed my hand into the wound in his side. Thomas said, I will not believe unless I see. Thomas gets a bad rap in our culture. People today are sometimes referred to as a doubting Thomas whenever they feel skeptical or whenever they're being a little bit cynical. We call him a doubting Thomas. But I think that might be a little bit unfair to Thomas. Because the reality is that we would all feel the same way if we had been there, wouldn't we? Wouldn't we all, if the other disciples told us they had seen Jesus, wouldn't we all feel like we would need to see that too, to believe a resurrection? Think about it today. 
Wouldn't it make it a whole lot easier for you to build your life on your faith in Jesus if you had the opportunity to see him literally, physically, in the flesh today? I mean, so. And this might actually be, for some of you, why it is so hard to believe. This might be exactly why some of you don't believe any longer. Because at some point in your faith journey, you started to think about the uncertainty that you had and the lack of evidence that you had for yourself, your own inability to see for yourself. And you started to wrestle with this turmoil where you're like, man, I I want to believe, but I have these doubts and I'm not really all that confident in it. And so you felt like because you had doubts, that meant you don't believe and then you felt like you had to walk away. But is it possible that your doubts did not mean you had to walk away? In our culture, we have this saying that seeing is believing. You hear that sometimes, seeing is believing, right? But if you think about that statement, that old adage, you realize it's not actually true. Seeing does not equal believing. Seeing equals knowing. Seeing, for ourselves, equals having concrete evidence. Seeing means we're witnesses to the fact. It means we have empirical data. It means we know. Seeing equals knowing. The statement should be, not seeing equals believing. Not seeing requires belief. And so what we find is that belief actually requires there to be some space for uncertainty. Belief always carries with it an allowance for doubt. And so if you ask me, John, what does it mean to actually believe in something? In my own simple mind, this is how I would articulate it. I would say belief is choosing to trust despite your doubt. That's what belief is. Belief is saying, I'm going to trust something to be true even though I don't get to see for myself, even though I don't have empirical data, even though I don't have concrete evidence, belief is choosing to trust. And the reality is that we believe all sorts of things that we don't have concrete evidence for or that we don't get to see for ourselves. I believe, for example, that right now there are some astronauts aboard the International Space Station and they are soaring across the universe. I believe that, but I don't get to see that with my own two eyes. I believe that if you got on a plane today, you flew over to Australia and you got on a boat and you went out into the ocean and you dove under the water, you would see the Great Barrier Reef, one of the, one of the natural wonders of the world. I believe it's there, but I've never seen it for myself. Here's one. I believe that at one point in time, dinosaurs roamed the planet. Certainly have never had the opportunity to see them. And so what we find is that we believe all sorts of things to be true despite any amount of doubt that we have. And you and I would say it's perfectly rational to believe those things because of the surrounding evidence, even though there will always be a little bit of doubt. And so when it comes to belief in Jesus, all that simply means is choosing to trust him, choosing to trust him with our lives, choosing to trust him with our eternities, choosing to trust the validity of the resurrection. And yes, we will never get to see it on this side of eternity with our own two eyes, but that's okay because of all the other evidence around it. And that type of belief, that type of 
of step of faith, if you will, is always rewarded by God. Look at what we read next. Verse 26 says, eight days later, <laughs> Jesus was like, okay, Thomas, you're going to doubt? I'm going to make you wait eight days, buddy. Eight days later, the disciples were together again, and this time Thomas was with them. I'm like, you think? I bet Thomas was like, I'm going to be glued to your hip, Peter and John. I'm not going anywhere. So this time Thomas was with them. The doors were locked, but suddenly, as before, Jesus was standing among them. Peace be with you, he said. And then he said to Thomas, Thomas, come here. Put your finger here and look at my hands. Put your hand into the wound in my side. Listen to this. He said, Thomas, don't be faithless any longer. Believe. My Lord and my God, Thomas exclaimed. And then Jesus told him, you believe because you have seen me. Blessed are those who believe without seeing me. Thomas had seen. So Thomas didn't just believe. Thomas knew at that point. I'm sure he fell at, at Jesus' feet. And he exclaimed, my Lord. But Jesus recognized that Thomas, you get to see. So of course you believe because now you know. But it's like Jesus thought ahead to us. And he recognized the vast majority of people will not get the luxury that you've had, Thomas. They won't get to see for themselves. And yet, I'm going to invite them to believe and to trust in me anyway. Blessed are those people. I'm going to bless those people. And then John, who is there, who witnessed all of this, who believed himself both before he saw and then especially after, gets to the end of his life and he sits down and he writes this account for us. He says, I want people to know what I saw with my own two eyes. And it's like his mind drifts ahead to all of us. And he closes this section on the resurrection by writing this. He says, the disciples saw Jesus do many other miraculous signs in addition to the ones recorded in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and, said I've written these, and so that by believing in him, you will have life by the power of his name. John thought ahead to us, and he wanted us to be able to believe. So he said, listen, I haven't written down all of the miraculous signs that Jesus gave us that he really is who he claimed to be. But the ones I've written down, I've given you so much detail. I've tried to be as accurate as I possibly can because I want you to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. But John didn't just want us to believe for belief's sake. John wanted us to experience the impact of that belief. John wanted us to experience life by the power of his name. John wanted us to experience the life that he had found and that he had lived for the last several decades of his life with. He wanted us to experience the life that his family and his friends around him got to experience. He wanted us to have what Jesus said was the, the reason that he had come to give us life to the full, the abundant life in this lifetime here and now. 
He wanted us to have what Jesus promised, eternal life, life that's everlasting for those who believe in him. It's life that is confident in the face of uncertainty. It's life that's okay with the variables. It's life that's filled with a peace that comes from knowing that Jesus has conquered sin and death once and for all. It's life that isn't available in ourselves on our own. And it's life that every single person who's being baptized this morning would say they have experienced in their own life. At all four of our weekend services this weekend, we get to celebrate Easter by by baptizing some people who would say, listen, in their own words, they would say, listen, I, I took my own step of faith. And despite the fact that I don't get to see with my own two eyes, I chose to believe. And that belief has brought life for me. I am a changed person. God has changed me. And they want to testify to the fact of what Jesus said 2,000 years ago is true, that we are blessed when we believe even though we don't get to see. And so I guess this morning, if I was going to wrap up or summarize John's message about the resurrection, I think what John would want to say is simply this, don't stop believing, hold on to that feeling. I don't know if that was John or Journey, maybe it was Journey quoting John, but I think that's the message. Listen, the band's going to come. They're going to lead us in a song. They're going to give us an opportunity to spend a few minutes worshiping while we get ready for the baptisms. But then we're going to invite people to join me in the pool and to go public with their faith in Jesus and with their belief in Jesus. And when they go down and they're brought back up, it's reflective, it's symbolic of the fact that Jesus laid his life down only to have it brought back again. And when they come up out of the water, I hope you'll... Let them hear your excitement for them, your celebration with them for the fact that they have been blessed because they believe despite the fact that they don't get to see. But as we close, I just want to acknowledge it's a little bit challenging that we don't get to see in this lifetime with our own two eyes. I get that. But that doesn't mean it's unreasonable to believe. We don't believe just because an ancient text like the Bible tells us so. It's so much better than that. We believe because guys like Matthew would say, I was there. And I'll tell you exactly what I saw. And I'll tell you exactly what happened because I'm an eyewitness to the fact. We believe because of guys like Peter who would say, I was there and I was afraid. I locked myself in a room because I didn't want to be associated with Jesus after he died because I believe he wasn't who he claimed to be. But after the resurrection, I did. And I went to my grave proclaiming the truth that Jesus is the Son of God. We because of guys like John that we believe. We believe because of guys like Paul who, who said, I was a, a, a Jew among Jews, that I was giving my life to stomping out all belief in Jesus until I came face to face with the resurrected Jesus on the road to Damascus. And I spent the rest of my life trying to help the whole world believe in Jesus. We believe because of guys like James, Jesus' younger brother. We know that after Mary miraculously conceived Jesus and Jesus was born, Mary and Joseph went on and had a bunch of kids on their own. And these, these younger siblings of Jesus rejected him during his ministry. 
James would say that during Jesus's ministry, I completely thought he was crazy. I rejected his claims to being the son of God. But at the end, James would stand up and say, but now I believe that he is my savior and my Lord. What would it take to convince you or for your younger brother to convince you that he was the son of God? Resurrection might go a long way, right? It did for James. And so I want to invite you to do what John invites you to do, to do what Jesus invites you to do, is to trust him. I want to invite you to believe. Despite the uncertainty, despite the fact that you don't get to see with your own two eyes, I want to invite you to take a step of faith. Take a step towards believing him. Will you get to see with your own two eyes? Not on this side of eternity. But the reality is that it's okay to believe something even when you don't get to see everything. When you do that, you experience life that isn't available any other way. Life that so many around this room would say, that's what I experienced in my life. Life that I would say I get to experience in my life. It's so good and I want it for you. It's a life where you go, you know what? I don't know how the circumstances around me right now are going to play out. But this is what I do know. I do know that Jesus has already declared victory over anything that this world can throw at me. It's a life where you go, you know what? I'm not quite there yet. I'm a work in progress. I still stumble. I still fall. But that's okay because Jesus has already atoned for my sin through what he accomplished on the cross. It's a life where you go, you know what? I might take some punches sometimes. I might get knocked down, but that's okay. I'm going to get back up because Jesus got back up. It's a life that you live where you go, I believe that we will win. Because I understand that I'm fighting a battle that Jesus has already won. That's the blessing that Jesus promised for those who believe. And this morning we celebrate that. We celebrate the resurrection. We celebrate its implications for our lives today. So as we get ready for baptism, would you simply stand to your feet right now as we proclaim that truth together in worship of him.